Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it surprises us and challenges us, as well as comforting us and encouraging us. We pray that as we spend these minutes gathered around it now, so you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and we've been trying to understand it and trying to, uh, as it were, listen in uh, on the conversation that uh, Paul was having with this group of Christians in Corinth. Uh, we've learnt that it was an important port and an important uh, trading place. Uh, quite a cosmopolitan place, the sort of place that lots of different people uh, came to and moved through, uh, and it was quite uh, vibrant and lots of different ethnicities and nationalities all mixing together. We learned that Paul spent 18 months there uh, preaching uh, both to Jews and to Gentiles, to, to non-Jews. And uh, a church began there, a little group uh, of Christians and uh, after Paul went on on his missionary journeys, he wrote back uh, to this church in Corinth. They seem to have communicated with him, uh, and so uh, Richard gave us this, uh, this um, sort of image of we're sort of listening to one half of the conversation. We're sort of listening to uh, one side of the telephone call. This is what Paul is saying to them, uh, and sometimes we have to work quite hard to realise what it is that they are saying to Paul. But one of the things that we perhaps don't have to look that hard to understand is that here was a group of Christians who were clearly uh, quite dynamic. They uh, felt that they had uh, a great sort of grasp of spiritual knowledge, spiritual wisdom, spiritual gifts so much so that there was uh, it seems a certain tendency towards uh, pride arrogance and even boasting the word boast turns up nine times in 1 corinthians and actually turns up 26 times in 2 corinthians somebody in the corinthian church was boasting. And if you think about some of the things that Paul says to them, he is constantly trying to sort of just, as it were, bring them down to earth. Do you remember in chapter one, he says to them, remember what you were. Remember what you, not many were noble. Not many were rich. Not many were powerful. But God raised you up. And because it is God who's done it, no one can boast before him. In chapter 3, he talks about uh, the dangers of deceiving yourself about being wise. In chapter 4, he says, already you've become kings. It's, it's, uh, it's irony, it's almost sarcasm. He says, look, all these things you've got, and we're wandering around in rags. And you've got all these riches, you're already there. 
In chapter 5, he says, your boasting is not good. In chapter 8, he gives that lovely little phrase, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. It seems that for some in this church, there was a problem with pride, arrogance, and boasting. Their new faith had given them a knowledge, had given them spiritual gifts, had given them heavenly food, the bread and the wine. It had given them initiation into a new community and a place in heaven. And it seems that some of them were rather enjoying it and were happy not just to proclaim it to others, but somehow to boast about it. Paul is horrified by this and warns them time and time about the dangers of becoming proud or arrogant. And you may remember, we haven't uh, made it there yet, but when you get to what is perhaps the very pinnacle of 1 Corinthians into chapter 13, you remember all the things that love is not. One of the things it is not. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. In the verses at the start of our passage today, Paul tells the Corinthians not to take their salvation for granted. He urges them to run the race with a single-minded with the single-minded discipline of an athlete. He says, "Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize." He talks about the training that they need to go into. And uh, all this, he says, is done in the world just to get a crown that will last only a few uh, days. What we are being called to is something that will last forever. Jesus has called you, yes. Now focus and run this race. Don't, dear Corinthians, be so arrogant as to think you've got it all taped and sorted. Look at Jesus, focus and keep going. And then, as well as telling them that they're running this race, he says, look, look, there are warnings from our history. And, and it's really uh, interesting that, that Paul reaches out to the Corinthians, some of whom are Gentiles, and says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact that our ancestors, the people of God, before we became the people of God, they had all sorts of wonderful things happen to them. They were liberated from Egypt through the Exodus. They went through uh, the Red Sea. They ate the manna and had the quail. They had uh, miraculous water provided for them. Look at all these things they had. And yet, some of them, even most of them failed to live up, failed to stay faithful. When push came to shove, when things got difficult, they turned to idolatry, they turned to the golden calf. 
Paul takes this imagery from the story of the Exodus and says, look, if they could experience all these things and still fall, be careful. Focus on Jesus. Be disciplined. Be focused. And stay humble. Now then, if that's what Paul is saying here in this passage, is it relevant to us today? Are arrogance, pride and boastfulness really a problem for our church and for churches today? I'm not sure. I mean, to start with, the British are always apologising, aren't they? Sometimes even for things that aren't our fault. But, I mean, there's plenty that is our fault, but we do apologise a lot. Secondly, we know, don't we, the state of the church in our country. And thirdly, perhaps we've tried hard to learn from mistakes in the past, the not-so-distant past, about churches, particularly in our country, and particularly how we failed to welcome people who should have been embraced as our brothers and our sisters. The church, St. Christopher's, and the church in our country perhaps is in a very different place. We don't feel particularly proud or arrogant or boastful. Maybe actually we do feel quite weak and vulnerable and have plenty of humility. So is this one passage or this couple of chapters that we can read, we can understand, but actually we find it quite difficult to enter into. Is it one of these passages that perhaps we can say, well, this doesn't really apply to us now. It doesn't really cut the mustard with us today. As soon as you say things like that, you start to feel uncomfortable, don't you? And you think, hang on a minute. You can't be telling me that there's bits of the Bible that aren't relevant. So maybe the question is, how? How is this message to this church, which was struggling with pride and arrogance, apply to our church and to the church in our nation when we don't particularly seem to have a problem with pride and arrogance? Last week uh, in our house, we watched a, a film and uh, we, we enjoy watching films uh, in our house. And uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have people with technology that I don't understand because we couldn't make a decision about which film to watch, okay? And so one of my lovely daughters took her phone and said, look, I'll make a circular thing on here with a pointer. So you put all the films on and you spin the pointer around like that on your phone. I'm like thinking, this is, this is like nuclear fusion, this is. And do you know why it was really good? Why this method was really good? Because it landed on the film I wanted to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched Lincoln, okay? Lincoln, which is Daniel Day-Lewis playing um, Abraham Lincoln, okay? And to be honest, it wasn't quite the film I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be his entire life, you know, young man to old man. But it wasn't. It was just sort of two or three years when he was president and he was pushing to get an amendment to the American Constitution to say uh, that, that, that slavery could not, uh, uh, was not consistent with the Constitution. 
So there's quite a lot of politics, quite a lot of toing and froing, and, and sometimes it was hard to follow. But I was still glad that we'd watched Lincoln. About halfway through the film, the opposition to this amendment said, in effect, whatever next? You know, if we, if we ban slavery, if, if the constitution said, whatever next? And then they said two or three things that everybody went into uproar about. What about black people having votes? And everyone, no! And then they said, what about women having votes? It was terrible. The very idea, not only that black people would be emancipated once and for all, but the idea that one day they may be able to vote, which didn't happen for another hundred years in America, and even the idea that women would vote. You see, there are things in the past which people sincerely believed, which we now believe are utterly wrong. Do you know when votes for women in this country came in fully and, and equally with men? Any idea? Pick a, pick a date. Don't, sorry? That's very good, Celia. Very good. 28, according to Wikipedia. 1928. 1928. Less than a hundred years ago. Do you know when the slave trade was abolished in the British Empire? It's the two. The trade was abolished in 1807. Slavery, slaves were not actually freed until 1838. Less than 200 years ago. And who was compensated when the slaves were emancipated in the British Empire? The slave owners. Go back a little bit further, back into the sort of 1600s, people thought that the person who was king or queen had been put there by God. And what they said, therefore, had to be obeyed because they were there by God. What the scholars call the divine right of kings. Now, I'm not a historian, okay? Really not a historian. The point I want to make is there are times in history that you can look back and people sincerely believed something which we now equally sincerely believe was totally wrong. The question is, isn't it, what is it now? What is it that we believe now, that in 50, 80, or 100 years, people will look back on and say, oh my aunt, how did they believe that? And what is it as Christians that we believe now, that in 50, 60, 80, or 100 years, Christians will look back to and say, oh my aunt, how did they believe those things? Now, you're probably sitting there and thinking, yes, Tom, but isn't the whole point that you can't see it? Just like, you know, the people in Lincoln's film couldn't see it. But maybe that's what makes us humble. Just like the Corinthians couldn't see 
that their boasting and their arrogance and their pride was wrong until Paul pointed it out. And he has to point it out again in his next letter. Maybe we have to come before the Lord and say humbly, Lord, we want to follow you. What is it now that helps us to grow more? Is it the way we treat the environment? People who own cars. Is it the way we treat asylum seekers and refugees? Is it the way we tolerate multinationals taking huge profits and paying next to no tax? Is it the way we treat LGBT people or other minorities? Is it the scourge of homelessness when apparently there are 800,000 second homes in England? Is it selling vapes to children? Is it the way alcohol, gambling, pornography thrive in our country and so often pollute young people's minds about what pleasure and relationship really are? These things should make us pause, shouldn't they? And come before the Lord and ask in humility, help me to see where I might be going wrong. And you know, humility brings a wonderful freedom. You know, when you're not trying to defend a position all the time, when you're not basically trying to prove that you are right, when you know who Jesus is, but you say, I know who he is, and I am following him with every fibre of my being. Those things that Paul said, running, fixing your eyes, being clear, all of that is true. But how that faith then works out, Lord, give me humility to know that sometimes together we will get it right, but together we may need to learn and grow and put mistakes right. He has set me free to learn and grow and change and become more like him. Paul says it to the Corinthians. Look to Jesus. Remember what happened to our ancestors. Stay humble and go on with him. As I read this passage, I hear the Lord's message whispering to me. Look to Jesus. Run the race. Stay humble. Be open. Be ready to learn. Be ready to make right your mistakes. Be ready to let the Spirit work in and through others. Look to Jesus. Run the race. Stay humble. And see what he does. Amen.